Hello, everyone. I'm Christina Roberts Enneking, and I am here to welcome you to the Real Eyes Realize podcast. This is a platform where we feature everyday people making ripple effects, actualizing love in their families, communities, and the world at large. Real Eyes Realize is a show where life and service dance together. For all of our podcast listeners, we invite you to sit back or take us with you on your walk or drive or however you enjoy your podcast. But listen deeply. We are here with our guests, here to listen to the sparks that have inspired action and heart-centered service and highlight ways in which we can also be motivated and inspired to create the positive ripple effects in our world. We're prepared to get real as well, authentic, courageous, and vulnerable through truth-telling and in that relating with one another to the things that matter most. So thank you for being here and enjoy this special treat our next episode just for you. So wanted to welcome our next podcast guest, Jane Finette, to our Real Eyes Realize podcast. And I am so excited to have this opportunity to speak with you and to provide to our listeners all of the good nuggets that you are working on in this world. So before we get started with the podcast, I'm going to just read a little bio and, uh, and then we'll move forward into questions. Yeah. Yeah, so Jane is Jane Finette is obsessed with accelerating change at scale through conscious leadership. It is her passion, expertise, and two decades of experience that are anchored at the intersection of technology and human potential. And at her core, she empowers individuals and communities to solve the world's most persistent and perennial problems. Jane is currently the executive director and founder of the Coaching Fellowship, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, which nurtures and brings together some of the world's most extraordinary emerging young women leaders in social change. Some of Jane's past work includes senior leadership roles at global brands such as eBay, Sotheby's, and Mozilla, reaching hundreds of millions of users through all stages of growth. She has funded or founded and run large international teams, expanded organizations globally, built products, ran marketing departments, and grown large-scale open source communities. And Jane is also a successful serial entrepreneur and certified CPCC ACC executive coach and a leadership expert. And most recently, Jane is the author of a beautiful book called Unlocked, How Empowered Women Empower Women. And this is a referendum on women's inequality and a toolkit for leveling the playing field for women and girls. Part inspiration, part practical guide, Unlocked was written to encourage and empower women to take action into their own hands and to reach gender equality in our lifetime. So Jane, like, wow. First of all, big wow. Uh, How does it feel to have your bio be read back to you? Yeah, I'm like, who's that woman? She sounds really cool, doesn't she? (laughs) And I'm I'm like, I'm not that old really as well. I'm just like, how on earth did I manage to cram all that in? So um, yeah, my mum would often say, you know, she used to worry about me when I was younger because um, I would maybe change jobs every couple of years and she'd, you know, it was my dad was a, an engineer for nearly 30 years Rolls Royce did the same thing and uh, I think I used to terrify them both by doing lots of things but um yeah it's made for a really rich life that's it has that's for sure. it seems yeah, like that and, and <laughs> what I love too is is the ability for you to be looking at and so much of this podcast is to amplify and to highlight people that are making ripple effects in the world creating positive change and what I love about you is you actually create a platform 
to do that for a multitude of women in all different parts of the world. And so I'm really excited to dig in. Um, as we begin, I'd love to know a little bit more about Jane as she came into this world and your journey about some of these little things that you've done and big things. Um, it's been a sort of journey. So can you give us a Reader's Digest version of the path? <laughs> that I love that. I sh I should definitely focus in on Reader's Digest version. That's um, sometimes I feel like it's long and rambling. So I I mean I'm, I'm I haven't been talking very much, but you'll get this. I'm British. You'll hear that from my accent, though it does wander a little bit at times. So I was born in the middle of the uh, the UK, a very small village in Warwickshire, which is right in the centre of the UK, very close to Stratford, which a lot of us know from Shakespeare and so on. So. Um, very green thatch cottages, lots of arable farming, and um, uh, and my mother's still there, and I love to go home. Um, very humble roots. Um, both my uh, parents, grandparents, um, all worked in factories and um, grew up sort of like in a working class family. Um, what I did have, though, was an uncle who... Um, in the 60s, and it's interesting, um, as we right now we're talking in the midst of the uh, uh, of Russia invading Ukraine and um, uh, now uh, shocking sort of having to come to terms with a nuclear threat that we haven't had for 30 years. Um, but my uncle was very um, motivated in the 60s um, uh, for around the ban the bomb movement mm -hmm. and got very involved with uh, the trade union movement uh, in local politics. Uh, never finished school, never went to university, but ended up becoming a member of parliament in the UK, um, and uh, which is quite rare for someone to end up in parliament without a degree and so on. Um, and ended up being a longest serving MP in our area, 16 years. And so I think when I look back so much of what he instilled in me around uh, democracy and creating access and opportunity, mm. I couldn't really see it, but I think it was being forged for me at that time when I was uh, a young girl. And I was um, I was just 16 when he first became an MP and I they didn't have children. I was his goddaughter, so I was always with them on the campaign and I think it had a really um, uh -huh. deep, made a deep impression on me. Um, and, you know, I've been very fortunate as you, as you described, did a lot of different things. I was involved in the, I graduated during the first dot-com era. Yes. And so, I mean, and you could be 23 and I had multi-million dollar uh, pound budgets to launch jungle.com at that time. I was the launch manager and, um, just ridiculous things where you think, my God, how on earth would I've had those opportunities? So I've had a lot of luck, you know, I think as well. Um, and I think what I've always done is also, if there's been an opportunity, I've always said yes. Mm. Um, so I just saw where that would, that would take me. Um, so yeah, so a lot of startup experience, a lot of founding experience yes. um, and a lot of, um, I would say trying to find my way. And when I look at my resume, I think I've mentioned before, actually, when we were chatting offline, Christine, that, you know, I think I look like I'm six different people on, on my resume because there is a lot of stuff on there. And I think until about 10 years ago, when I really dug into and, and you know, looked at the women's empowerment work, mm. I think I was really f trying to find my way, really yeah. trying to understand what am I here to do in this lifetime? What am I good at? What am I motivated by and uh, what do I care deeply about and mm -hmm. and 
when I was always on target, when I was always on fire, doing my best work of my life was when my values were aligned with my, mm -hmm. with the work that I was doing. So particularly at um, early days at eBay, when we were helping people sell online for the first time in the year 2000, you couldn't sell anything on the internet unless you had a merchant bank account. Yeah. So we were giving people the opportunity to start small businesses in their homes. Interestingly, a lot of women at home with children who were finding the power of eBay to sell. But the, that wonderful lesson, right, about the more that we are able to let go, the more abundance we actually can create because we're actually not limiting ourselves or limiting others with that creative process. Um, and also just the ability to infuse, it sounds like, uh, more creativity by being inclusive. And so you mentioned inclusivity and accessibility yeah. has really been important to you. Um, how yes. has that fueled your work? Like when did you first start getting into like this place of empowered women, empower other women? How did that begin? Yeah. Um, well, and I, I think, you know, they, again, I owe Mozilla so much and they're the folks behind the Firefox web browser. So at one point I was responsible for all of user engagement for Firefox. So that was about 500 million Firefox users in 90 different language versions. And, uh, and I had a team of six people. <laughs> so this will tell you how we did this work together, um, which is in a decentralized way, working with volunteers on the ground in each country who were, who were doing the work. And Mozilla is a, you know, one of the largest, uh, uh, non consumer technology non nonprofits um, mm -hmm. themselves. So it was at Mozilla where I first got access to coaching and leadership development. Uh -huh. So I had made it into the executive team. And then it was extraordinary because at that point, and suddenly you got access to all of this stuff, which I was turning around saying to myself, wow. Gosh, I wish I'd had that 25 years ago. Like, goodness me. So when I mentioned about sort of being able to take a good hard look at my values and what am I here to do really? And is this, am I congruent? Am I aligned with what I'm good at and what I want to do and what, you know, a legacy might be and so on. Um, and a lot of it was, and actually I've done quite a lot of work looking back at Mozilla now. And, um, and some, sometimes I have a few regrets of, of leaving Mozilla, but I couldn't do anything but think about becoming a coach. Uh -huh. So I I left and I wanted and I got trained as a coach with Coaches Training Institute and I wanted to give back. And I specifically wanted to help young women leaders because I realized this was something I would have never had access to. Um, and um, and it was particularly for me important to help young women in social change because we know today, if you work at Facebook or Google and you're 25, you're perhaps in your first or second position mm -hmm. uh, in your career, you're not going to get access to leadership development and executive coaching. It's, it just doesn't happen. Um, so if you get on the, on the path you know, of an emerging leader and then suddenly you're a VP or something, then maybe. But yeah. most, most of the time, our male leaders get access to this and you certainly have to be, have to be older or on the right track. So... Um, so, yes, yeah, so I ended up, it was a happy accident, Christina, actually, in creating the coaching fellowship because I wanted to give back and help these young women leaders in social change. Mm. Um, it started off with just two or three pro bono places, which kind of exploded. I wasn't ready for that. And I ended up with about 40 plus women who wanted to have coaching from me who were all amazing. And I came from 12 countries, 
you know, boots on the ground in East Africa or in Latin America and so on. And um, so I went back to the women and men and women I coached with at CTI and said, hey, like, are you looking for a pro bono client? Because I have a whole bunch of amazing young women. And to their credit, 16 of them said yes. Mm. And you could do the math. We gave everyone a place. It was not a competition. Um, And we got started. But then what happened over the course of another six, nine months was that more women kept coming to me asking when I was going to run another program because 40 women looked like it looked like a program, you know, and there was so little access to coaching for this demographic that they were talking about it. And, uh, and likewise on the other side to do pro bono coaching, you, it, it would be amazing if you could find an, you know, a social impact entrepreneur out of Rwanda to be in support of, but how do you find that person? So what I hadn't realized was that I was creating this, um, community without realizing it and I was maniacally focused because I quit my big job at Mozilla so I was like oh well I'm building a coaching business and I don't have time for that that's not what I'm doing and then eventually the the noise level got so big that I said I'll run one program and uh, we had 50 coaching places at that point and we had nearly sort of seven eight hundred applications so it was interesting but I had to surrender Mm-hmm. to it. So I wish I could tell you I had this marvelous vision, but it was sort of like I, um, the universe, mm-hmm. as she in her infinite wisdom often does, presents you with opportunities. And sometimes we're, sometimes we can't hear it or we don't want to hear it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. but it, I was shown just of the need for the kind of work that we do today uh, with these yeah. young women leaders and, um, yeah, that was eight years ago. It's crazy how the time crazy. has flown. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I, I mentioned to you a little bit, um, you know, as I was emailing you in preparation for this call, uh, I have your book, The Reason Book Unlocked, uh, how empowered women empower women. And it is like dog-eared and I have tabs on like every other page because it is such a beautiful, beautiful collection of Uh, powerful, positive stories, as well as wonderful data and insights about where things are. And one of the things that really um, impacted me, and I'm curious about your thought on this, is here we are, March of 2022. It's International Women's Month. And so what a wonderful privilege to speak with you this month. And at the same time, we're still moving on the heels of COVID. As you mentioned, we've got Russia invading Ukraine. Um, I've read in in your book and certainly have the feeling of the patriarchal systems. They just don't work. They don't work anymore. I'm curious what your thought is on that as you kind of bubble everything up and even the impact on gender equality relative to COVID. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What a massive, a massive question actually. No, I thank you. I mean, and I really thank you for asking me and, um, and actually, if I think back of, of writing the book and why I wrote the book, um, and then uh, which was because it was the start of COVID and the the numbers of women's equity was going completely in the wrong direction. I mean, we had made such little gains as it was if you looked at the number of women in positions of leadership and VP positions, CEO positions. Uh, and these numbers were completely being obliterated with mm. hundreds upon thousands of women having to, to leave the workforce. Um, and because women will earn less than men, it was you know men didn't want their women, their their wives and their partners to drop out of the workforce. But mm-hmm. it just made sense if they were the primary 
you know, earning more money than the than the woman because we know there's a pay the gender difference in the amount yeah. of money eighty one cent on the dollar. It was clear that the the, the female and the in the relationship was going to stay home and homeschool and um, take on all those responsibilities. Um, but the other numbers which were shocking for me were around uh, thirty two million girls didn't go to school today. Mm. Not because they didn't want to, but because, you know, they're not deemed important enough on sanitary equipment for them. Um, so much stigma around girls' education. And the Malala f- Fund came out at that same time in the sort of early summer of 2020 and said another 12 million girls will not go back to school because of the pandemic. And I was so mm just depressed and distraught and thinking, my God, like I feel like this and I run a women's organization. How, how on earth are we going to claw back these mm-hmm. games that have been lost? Um, and how do we not only do that, but leapfrog forward? Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned the, you know, the sort of the patriarchal systems. And uh, I mean, all that time when I was writing the book, um, you know, I was really banging my drum about gender equity and uh, alas seeing so many things in the world as you were just describing I feel like I've kind of I've moved beyond that Mm. you know and very I mean kind of unashamedly so um which is you know I don't I actually don't believe in gender equity anymore we need to transcend that we need to equal I've said this to you but equal to what do we want to be equal to systems that don't work for everyone Mm. systems that are breaking our the earth and the survival of every living thing. It's just, um, uh, it, it, we have to find a way which, which is, moves way beyond all of this and women's leadership, the way that we lead, the way that we, um, uh, can be bring different perspectives and different skills to the conversation, um, is, is critical. And I don't want to blame men. This is not a sort of like male bashing thing. Of course. Um, because, you know, this is, these are just systems which that happen to be this way. They've evolved that way. Every fabric of society um, uh, has uh, male leadership at its, at its center. Um, and men are tired too. You know, this is, you know, I, I think it's very complicated for men to be in positions of leadership today as well. And exhausting um, so you know we're we're reaching breaking points in many many different pieces and I just you know with the pandemic for example uh, we've shown shown a light very deeply on mm-hmm. on women's contribution and I sincerely hope that as we do start to build back better as they say that mm-hmm. that means that women are um, at the center of those of those decisions yeah we've got a long way to go There is a long way to go. And I think what I also love about uh, just talking with you is there's a long way and yet it starts with one small step from individuals. Like it doesn't have to feel like uh, that we're boiling the ocean, but it does have to start. And uh, it feels like everything from, you know, looking at gender equity to where, how we treat mother earth and all of these things are confounding and getting to a point where when are we all going to wake up and start realizing that our actions do matter. And I love what you utilize is this thought about virtuous, um, virtuous cycles and the flywheel, uh, would you care to explain that a little bit more? I think that's a beautiful analogy. 
Thank you. Yes, I well, and I, I picked up on it because I'm doing um, the research. And thank you for, for bringing us all the way back around as well, because one of the things I'd wanted to say when I was starting to write that book was, um, you know, I thought, oh, my God, at one point, I thought, God, this is going to be a 10 volume book because <laughs> there are so many things that women were, you know, were fighting for access to opportunity, to money, to uh, our bodies, to, you know, rights. To, I mean, it just on and on and on. So, so um, and yet, as you say, we're coming right back to um, uh, what can what can each of us uh, yeah. do in that in that moment? So, in doing the research for the book, I realized um, there was this fantastic piece of uh, research which I kind of heard about, but I, I hadn't really um, studied. Which was that women in the developing world will give back up to ninety percent, ninety percent of what they earn, what they learn, what they've grown. Um, mm. So we're not just talking about money, but we're talking about knowledge. We're talking about um, sharing all of the resources. Mm. And uh, for men in the developing world, and you know, it's obviously a much more complex picture, but it's really about 30 to 40%. Mm. So for me that, and when I have witnessed women in my own life, in my own circles, is that we care deeply about uh, paying it forward to our mm. nearest and dearest and, you know, bringing them uh, in, into a circle. Um, so for me, it's something that we do naturally already. Mm -hmm. um, but what happens if we do more of it? What happens mm -hmm. if we bring more women into our circles? And can we get the flywheel therefore turning faster? Mm -hmm. Because we know that when, you know, women, more women sit at the peace t at the uh, negotiation table, there'll be longer lasting peace. When women have access to agricultural tools and land, they'll provide more food. They say that uh, giving women access to land would uh, mean that more than 5 million people will not go hungry because mm. of how we till and share the land. Um, uh, uh, infant mortality rates go down, literacy rates go up. Something like $25 trillion would get added to the global economy if women were empowered. And the Rainforest Alliance says we could even solve climate crisis if we could just empower more women. Um, you know, so there's no silver bullet, but it does seem to me that empowering women and girls um, because of this virtuous circle, because if you empower one woman, you are not just empowering that one mm -hmm. woman, you are empowering many other women and therefore many other humans um, yes. and every living thing on this beautiful planet. Yeah. Yes, um, yeah. You know, it reminds me and, and I love to, you know, in your book, um, there's many different quotes and it just reminds me of the one from Melinda Gates around, if you invest in a girl, she becomes a woman and she invests in everyone else. And to me, yeah. that's really what you're talking about is this desire to yes, receive education. Yes. Receive, re receive resources. Um, there's this element of for the greater good that happens when you take a look at that. And everybody benefits from that. Yes. Yes, sincerely. Yes. Um, the uh, Re Rebecca Solnit says, you know, feminism isn't a, isn't a campaign to destroy men, but, uh, but, but want to liberate us all, you know, yes. and that it's, um, um, and it, I know I really want to instill that it is, it's not only women, it is, just, it, but it is, it's different when we are working together when there are more voices, more perspectives, more diversity. Um, and um, yeah, we're sadly missing that. Mm. So yeah. when you take a look at, and, and 
I know that you have had so many different interviews. Uh, you have come front and center with so many different individuals and their stories. I'm curious if there's something that comes to mind that has been inspiring for you um, around somebody's their own journey, you know, and, and where mm. things like coaching or funding have really facilitated a lot of return on investment for village or for a community at large. Anything come to mind? Yeah. With the fir- um, well, the first story, it's just, it's one that profoundly uh, impacted me when I was writing the book was, and I tell her story in the book about Fareshta uh, Faro, who is the, uh, she's an Afghan girl who started the first coding school for girls in Herat in Afghanistan. Uh, she grew up a refugee in Iran from the first wave of the Taliban. And then when the Taliban left um uh, they, the, the family moved back. She was one of six children. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I cried <laughs> just on the, the entire interview was me weeping uh, for a woman who was less than I'm 35 years old. I think she, she mm-hmm. was, um, and the wisdom that she held in her bones from the things that she'd witnessed and seen. And she had her mother, cared so deeply about her education that she um, she learned to become a seamstress and all of the additional money she had for the family went so Fareshta could go to school, finish her school. And then she decided she was very enamored by computer science, was the only compu- woman in computer science and eventually went to study in Berlin and became a, a professor teaching there mm-hmm. and wanted to bring it back to to Iran, uh, sorry, to Iran, to Afghanistan. Um, so, um, and then sadly, she herself um, started to receive threats on, on her life. Um, mm. She had to leave um, and was running the school remotely. Um, her father had passed away. She didn't get to go back. So she's been in New York running the organization um, mm. for the last uh it must be maybe eight years now. She hasn't been back. And there was so much hope, though, in the story. She would tell me these stories about the young women who she was enabling, who were then, you know, maybe 17 years old, yeah. earning triple what the, the the male in the household was earning on a weekly basis, three times as much. They were building websites and apps mm. and things like this. Um, and then, uh, you know, just one of the most, joyful, joyful things that I discovered. Um, and uh, to, to bring the story, sadly, uh, down for a moment, yeah. last August, um, I was visiting my mum in the UK first time in two years to witness the uh, US-UK uh, pullout of troops in Afghanistan and the fall of, the mm-hmm. fall of Afghanistan um, and reaching out to her and trying to understand what did that mean for her. And mm-hmm. sadly, the, the school closed um, she was very worried for the young girls who'd who'd had access, um, mm. and yet I'm still in contact, and I see her posts, and they're trying to find the way forward again. You know, mm. she um, she always says, uh, you know, where there's where there's ruin, there's hope. You know that yeah. there's this treasure in that. You know, when you've got nothing, what else will you do? You know, but build. You build and, from there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, it's such a telling story, I think, of resilience. And um, she also would say, you know, um, you know, you, how to plant seeds on a rock, you know, <laughs> and that nature is so incredible. And humanity is so incredible that even plants will grow on a rock, you know, 
and so we should take we should take courage in that and take mm-hmm. faith in that that mm-hmm. um as bad as things are um you know there there's there's always hope there's always yes. yeah can do. it's kind of like the leonard cohen song too you know that's that it's like you have the little crevice right a little bit yeah. of light and that is it, even through the darkness and the areas that you think that there's no possible way there are some amazing individuals and resilience and people that are looking to bring the light forward. Um, so, but what, what an impactful individual and the strength and courage that it takes for somebody to push against systems that have been in place um, or the role of what a girl should be doing in communities. Um, I just think that those are some things that, it does. It takes people that are willing to put their life on the line. We think mm-hmm. you also were mentioning Tracy Chow. Um, and oh, some of the work yes. The diversity like, activist. Yeah. yeah. So Tracy Chow, she was one of our coaching fellows in 2015. I think it was now 2014, 2015. And um, so she is a uh, she's computer science engineer, went to yeah. Stanford wicked smart lady we're just incredibly incredibly smart um and I sort of won't go into it all but received so much mm-hmm. abuse as a young woman in tech and um with gender not only gender bias but also um you know unwanted sort of uh, uh sexual abuse and uh, advances and mm-hmm. um uh, and I love her story because uh it's back to our ripple effects mm-hmm. because she ended up uh, quitting a sort of a toxic job, um, went to Pinterest, you know, the, the pinboard company, yes. loved working there, was wildly successful. I mean, they speak so highly of, of Pinterest and their culture. So fair, real credit to them. And then she went to, um, she went to the Anita Borg Institute, sort of like it's an annual conference for women in tech, mm-hmm. 10,000 women in uh, science computer science go there it's extraordinary event um and she got the chance to go and she heard Cheryl Shan that's uh, Cheryl Sandberg uh, COO of Facebook um lamenting the number of women in positions of uh, power and influence well the number of women in tech number one mm-hmm. but then also the number of women in leadership in tech and um she was just going on and on and Tracy was thinking to herself well but where are the numbers? Like, <laughs> Where's the I data? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, we don't. I mean, it's, of course, uh, you have to sort of laugh because it's sort of like a typical, you might imagine, left brain sort of question of like, oh, where's the data? So she took it upon herself. She wrote a very small blog post. Mm-hmm. Um, she got permission from Pinterest to share what were the numbers for Pinterest in the number yeah. of women in tech. And it really spoke to the tech community because mm. they love data and they realized there was no data. So it started with um, just a few handful of organizations posting their data. Yes. And then within three or four weeks, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Google, Twitter, yeah. all of the big ones were forced, were absolutely forced to share that yeah. not only the number of women, but also the people of color in these positions mm-hmm. as well. And where we stand today is that these tech companies will release annual reports on their diversity uh, data. They're being as transparent um, as as they possibly can. And there is a lot of work to do there as well and a lot of lip service, I think. But but still, and that was a single blog post from Tracy. Sometimes we I think we can feel disenfranchised, like, will it make a difference? Doesn't matter. 
Mm. Who knows? But if we don't do it, we will never know. That's right. And the catalyst for change can start with one small spark. And that's, um, yeah, it's just incredible. And it's something we can all do then. You know, it doesn't have to be such a grand, a grand thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. True. And uh, what I'm I'm curious about too, Jane, is, you know, when you think about where things are, um, what do you see as your hopes and dreams? What is the potential for the future from your perspective? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I I am definitely a glass three quarter full person. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I have a lot of hopes and a lot of, um, a lot of positivity you know, I mentioned those statistics already when women are empowered, like how the world changes. Yeah. And so for me, the most important thing we can do is continue to keep empowering women forward because when we're in positions of, of authority and decision-making, um, then, um, and also with money, actually, this was something I wanted to bring in. So, um, money is critical to this equation. I kind of, I hate myself for saying it, because I wish that the world operated on more than money. Mm-hmm. Um, but today it's still the system which works for the vast majority of us. Um, and it's exciting because women are going to, in America, by 2030, another $30 trillion. Um, sorry, gosh, I wish it was trillion. $30 billion <laughs> will flow into the hands of women. This is yeah. the baby boomer generation turning over and that money flowing uh, into the hands of women. So I'm very excited when we see that much more disposable income in the mm-hmm. pockets of women. And then what will we do? Like, yes. Will capitalism change? Will we invest differently? Are we going to invest in education and environment? Um, um, when we look at the media, when more women have a say, like does the mm-hmm. conversation change? Are we yes. care, you know, what kind of stories get featured? So um, we have massive potential to change the, 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 the story that's being told out there. And, mm-hmm. um, but it starts with empowering that one other woman in your life. Believe mm-hmm. me. Yeah. It really, it, that does. And it, that is the beginning. Um, and I, yeah, I think about that too, is, you know, are the stories changing, you know, and we see individuals like mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon and others that are looking yeah. at, you know, and, and the me too movement and how much has shifted and changed. And, um, it's taken some very brave people to be able to say, it doesn't have to be this way. And we're going to be part of that change. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, the potential of it for the little girls growing up today, I think that, um, there's a lot of great opportunity, which is good it's, and a lot of work still to do. Right. Yes. No, it, it's true. And, and I think we, we have to take heart that, you know, not to get, um, uh, saddened or it's not happening fast enough. We're talking about fundamentally shifting every system that we have ever known in modern times, you know, yeah. or even not modern times, medieval times, <laughs> we know that women have not been part of that decision. So we are, we're changing everything. So any wonder it's taking this long. It's okay, but it's happening. It is happening. It is happening. So um, the other part that I wanted to make sure that we tapped into is many times, as I mentioned to you, we offer resource guides to our listeners and we put that on our realeyes.love website. And the thing that I think is really, um, really beautiful are the practical tools that you offer in your book, which are your 10 keys um, for looking at empowering women. And so um, I would love to see if that's okay if we put that out on the resource guide. And if you want to just talk a little bit about these 10 keys and how you came to these as some things that 
everybody can do to support yeah. another sister, another woman in this, in this move. Thank you. Well, and of course I would love to, I mean, it's, it, um, it doesn't, it doesn't work if people don't know about it. Yes. So I just, I give it away, make it thank available you. as a possible. No, please, please. Thank you. Well, the oh, first one and uh, uh, this one, um, I love to, to share. It's one of my favorites actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, key number one is just say yes. Mm-hmm. Literally just say yes, because you know how hard it is for a woman to ask for help. Oh, so <laughs> so <hard. we're> rubbish. <laughs> um, so if some if some young per if some person some woman has come to you and asked for help, please help her because she will have gone through seven shades of hell to get to the point where she could actually feel safe in her skin to ask yes. for you for an introduction or you know uh, some advice or you know an hour of your time or something. So, mm-hmm. and that's something we can all just easily do. Um, in addition, this that's important because people would say to me a lot, we're doing so much already as women. Like, you want me to say yes? Like, where on earth do you think I'm going to get the time for that from? And I totally get it. And so what I would say is, um, it's also okay to say no. Yes. But please say no. At least say no, because very often we'll ask for help and then there's nothing. It's just a flat line. And that will dissuade someone from asking again. So Mm -hmm. if you say no, I'm so sorry, I'm so busy this time, but good luck. Someone's going to ask somebody else, you know. Yeah. Or make um, another connection or something. Yes. Absolutely. Be clear, be conscious, be kind. And part of that is closure. Yeah. Yeah. That's so lovely. It is. Number two, tell us she's ready. You know, um, we hold ourselves back all the time. Mm. And um, sometimes we we just need a kind, gentle sister to pull us along and tell us, you know, to, you're fine. You're ready to take that big job or you're ready to take on that project. And, yeah. um, you know, so like you're ready. Like the mother bird that kicks the, the, the fledgling out yeah, of the nest. Like you're it's ready. It's a bit of tough love, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, um, and, and I shared in the book too, the evidence is that when we do take these leaps, we are actually way more successful mm-hmm. than we realize, particularly when we look to permit when it is about, uh, jo- uh, taking a new job and promotions, um, we interview really well. Um, if we'd only just be willing to, you know, take, put ourselves forward. Mm-hmm. Um, stand behind her. Um, this one is, you know, it's, um, it's something we do a lot for our sisters everywhere. Um, sometimes it's really hard to do that in the workplace. So a mm-hmm. lot of these for me are the things we do naturally as women for other women. But yes. when you suddenly put us in the work environment, something gets really weird and funky and we're mm-hmm. not too sure how we're mm-hmm. supposed to be and professionalism and strangeness. Yeah. So um, I find it's uh, interesting on that note, you know, so many women that I've spoken with and, you know, I come from a tech background and Silicon yes. Valley is that, you know, in the past, it felt like a woman had to become more like a man to be successful, yeah. that there was a change and, that competitive arena is women often had a harder time supporting other women. Um, I think there's a bit of a shift changing now, but there may be some of that still pervasive. I'm curious if you found the same thing in your interviews and your own experience. Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't. It's so interesting and I'm delighted because people would want to talk about it, but could give me no evidence. Ah. And I, and I have actually since then though done, you know, sort of uh, presentations and conversations and things. And I do hear more of it, but I don't hear it as loudly as I thought I might. And everybody wanted to tell me um, the Madeleine Albright 
quote, which is, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. <laughs> and, um, and yet I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anybody yeah. who really, um, you know, just maybe two, three stories mm -hmm. where a woman had gone out of her way to kind of destroy mm -hmm. someone or make it much more difficult for them. It was much more women didn't feel empowered to help. Mm. So it wasn't actively being nasty or something, but rather they just thought that what difference can I make? Or I'm, yeah. you know, and that's, that's beautiful. very sad. So thank you for setting the record straight on that from your perspective. Well, I'm sure so it true. happens. Sadly, sadly, I'm sure it is. But what, what we are seeing, of course, is more women and uh, women as, as different examples of how to lead yes. and how to be. And so I think some of that is, is going away to be the only in the room is hard. I share the story about Mitchell Baker, the co-founder of Mozilla in the book. And forever, she was the only really woman CEO in technology. Mm -hmm. um, and how that will shape you when you don't have anyone else to connect with or find belonging with. Yeah, yes. it's, it's understandable, but tough. Yeah. Um, helper, help herself. Those coaches, um, you'll love this one, which is... <laughs> We're not broken and we don't need fixing. Sometimes we just need a sister to, you know, be on our side and hold our feet yes. to the fire and, you know, do all those things. Cause we, we know it. We just need a little bit of a help to find, find mm -hmm. our path. Um, a little uh, bit of boost. That turbo boost is really helpful. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. No. And to be, um, was mentioning this, um, in a call just this morning, but to be truly seen, Mm -hmm. and witnessed and listened to. Um, Powerful. Wow. It's rare. Isn't it rare? Mm -hmm. And so, wow, like this is, this doesn't require special skills, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just requires you be with someone and yes. what it is to be seen and to be witnessed. Like, wow. Like you, you want to really want to help someone. Yeah. Listen, truly listen to someone for half an hour. You go, gosh, mm -hmm. change their life. Um, I mentioned this before. Key number five is actually talk about money, like actually talk about money. This is so <laughs> awkward. Not for everyone. I know mm -hmm. I love those women who love talking about money. I wish that was me. <laughs> I'm still working on it. Um, but there's a lot of guilt and shame around money. A lot mm -hmm. of the way that we were brought up um, to, it's very rude to talk about money. Um, uh you know, it's, um, girls should save it. You should be careful with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet boys are still taught money is a vehicle. If you have some, let's grow it. Let's make it work for you. Um, and so, uh, this piece for all women, but particularly as well for young women, I yes. think is really important to get them very comfortable talking about money yeah. because then they're going to ask for what they're worth. They're going to learn to invest it and make that money work for them. And when you read statistics, like two thirds of women over the age of 65 in America are, have the potential to retire into poverty. Mm is unacceptable no, but because we earn less that compounds over time and if we're only putting it in a savings account which basically makes zero interest we're, we're we just don't have the liquidity those means um mm -hmm. so it's important um stand up for her number six is probably the most difficult because mm -hmm. that is about taking a stand right and mm -hmm. that means you're putting yourself on the line yes. so in the workplace, standing up for her in a meeting, you yes. know, um, even if it's, I'm so sorry, but 
she's being talked over or, you know, or she just said that and someone else took the credit for it, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you might think that's relatively small, but there's um, uh, potential consequences of taking these stands. And then it can, it goes all the way up from there, of course, from um, uh, describing any witnessing of, uh, of misbehavior or mm-hmm. um, calling things out on social media and getting, you know, doxxed or something. I mean, there's, yes. but there comes a time, I think, for all of us where <clears throat> we just can't take it anymore and you will Absolutely. be we called forth to, to stand yeah. up for her. And that's a big um, part of active allyship and really what that really means yeah. in action. Yeah. That is so true. I love, I love that term, the uh, being an active ally. It's, mm. yeah, like, I mean, then if we don't take action, then. Right. Yeah, we're letting yeah. it happen. That's right. Um, okay, I'm winding these up quickly, Christina. I promise. Um, be the example. Um, we know this. We know how to. We know that we should be role models, and mm-hmm. um, it's important. My take on this here is to be real mm-hmm. as women. We just can't have it all. We just mm-hmm. can't. You know, it's a myth, and we know that. Um, uh, I, I love to share my story. You know, I, when you asked me, thank you for letting me share my story about, you know, I have a working class background. I was the first kid in my family to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in a factory for three years myself before I went to college. I have no shame about, about that. It, it built me. I'm, I am yeah. who I am because of that opportunity. But I think when people are like, oh, she did this big job at Mozilla and she wrote a book and she runs this nonprofit helping social change makers. Oh, it sounds so glorious. And it's like, well, no, actually, I wandered around in the desert for quite a few years trying to find my path. And I had some big fancy jobs, but not sure they all spoke to me. And I'm not Mm -hmm. sure they were all the, you know, I did it for all the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're the stories I want to hear because it's not linear and it's messy and it's, yes. you know, so please tell someone your story because it's fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then give her confidence. Number eight. Um, this is one of the things that, you know, I, you were asking me about, you know, what, what breaks your heart mm-hmm. and what warms your heart. And this to me is, is a really big one because when I first started the coaching fellowship and we were looking for applicants from young women, social change leaders from all over the world. And we'd say to them, what do you want to, what do you want coaching on? Like, what do you, what would be different if you got what you wanted from this uh, program and this opportunity? Mm -hmm. And they would say confidence. Wow. Like 90 plus percent would say, I need to work on confidence. Mm-hmm. just killed me it was you know and they were doing some of the most extraordinary things we in the beginning we used to vet them based on the scope and scale of impact so that they mm-hmm. would be touching at least a hundred thousand lives in terms of making their lives better saving their life you know yes. these are women doing this level of work yet they wanted to work on confidence yes um, and you think oh my and yet at the same time we see it such an interesting thing societally, right? Absolutely. And yet I know that I don't need to be Bill Gates. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I didn't need to have a million dollars in my pocket to give you, if that's all you need, yes. we can work on that. That's, you know, right. so that's the thing that worms my heart. It's like, <laughs> wow, like this is, this is, this is it. This is the key that turns everything. So wow. uh, honestly, I think it's, it's huge. It's um, beautiful. Send the elevator down. Um, number nine, 
Um, this one is, again, back to young women. So uh, Lean In and McKinsey, uh, for the last six years, have done a women in the workplace study. Mm-hmm. And there they, they look at all the numbers, you know, how many women VPs are there, how many CEOs and women on boards and so on and so forth. It's important. It's a great read. Um, the one number that's blew my mind, the one number that hasn't shifted in six years, no difference is the number of first-time women managers. So for every 100 young men that get the chance to be a manager, and that doesn't necessarily mean managing people, but managing a project, managing something, you know, yes. um, there will be 85 white women who get that opportunity. And then 71 Latina and 58 black women. Mm. So when we look at over time, Yes. Where does where do we land with that? And people say, oh, there's a pipeline issue, and I hate that. <laughs> but it's kind of true. So mm-hmm. if they don't get that first start, they, they just will never catch up. Mm-hmm. They will never be able to. And when we look at uh, our women of color, uh, 58 out of 100, 50 and, mm-hmm. sorry, 58 black women out of 100 white men getting their first managerial role. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was where I would <clears throat> I would point people if you're in – in a company and you have some potential to be in support of the young women in your organization, it's important to get women in the executive suite, but Mm -hmm. also to be looking right at the beginning of Mm -hmm. these women starting their careers. Um, Mm -hmm. And the last one, number 10 is be a sister. It's be a sister. You know, we're, um, and, and particularly again, back to the workplace, like we're, we, we are awesome as taking care of each other and being in community and, Oh, loving each other. Yes. And then we get in the workplace and it's so complicated. And yet this is where we're, we need support. We know that women are two and a half times more, more likely to be successful if they have a strong group of women around them in the mm-hmm. workplace. And then that work um, is so important. It is. So, um, yeah, be a sister and all that 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 means. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, Jane, thank you sister for being yes, part of, you. I tell you just, well, part of this world and the ripple effect that you continue to promote. Um, I just, I'm curious, like, as we look at wrapping this up, how can our listeners support you? Like, what are the things that are going on and how do we continue to propagate and amplify the beautiful work you're doing in the world? Thank you. Thank you so very much. Um, I mean, my, my work is the coaching fellowship. So that's our nonprofit that helps young women, social change leaders get access to leadership development. I mean, our belief is that the younger they are when they get access to their full leadership uh, capacity and capabilities, then the more, you know, they will go and, and, uh, into the world and create the impact that we desperately need. Mm-hmm. Um, so supporting uh, the coaching fellowship is a big piece. So whether that might be uh, as a, uh, as a supporter, as a financial supporter, um, that would be incredible. But also um, for any coaches that might be listening as well, um, we're always looking for volunteer coaches to be mm-hmm. in support of our programs, which are always growing. So those two big things would be great. And then, Lastly, just my book, uh, if people are interested, that would be great. And all of the proceeds of the book goes to the Coaching Fellowship mm. as well, too. That is that virtual circle that we, we try and, you know, live and breathe ourselves So yes, in order is, to give back to. 
Amazing. Well, already I've, I've, um, have a cute few copies and I've gifted those to girlfriends. And, uh, I will just say that on behalf of my experience, it was an amazing read, a quick read. I found myself pouring over the pages and looking not only at the information and the data and sometimes in shock, but also at the strategies and the practical tips. And so just a wonderful job on that. And, uh, I just really wanted to say, um, just what a pleasure it is to know you. Um, oftentimes how we end these podcasts is just a quick series of collective questions. We have asked these of all of our guests, kind of off the hip, very spontaneous uh, responses. So if you're willing to stick with me for a couple more minutes. Of course, I'd love there. that. Thank okay. you. Yes. Awesome. And I do want to let our listeners know that all of uh, in our show notes, we'll have links to the book and we'll have links to the coaching fellowship. So you'll be easy to find relative to all of our channels. So thank you. So first of all, what are you currently reading or watching? What's on your nightstand or what's oh on your gosh. Netflix move? I am, um, gosh, I actually have my Kindle here and oh. I just started, actually I've become, you know, I used to read a lot and um, then I wrote a book and then I didn't read anything. I was too, <laughs> Funny how I was that like, happens. oh my God, I have no time for other books. Um, and so I set myself a goal this year to read 50 books in, and I have read 22 uh, and it is the first of March, and I have uh, just picked up. <laughs> my husband just rolls his eyes at me. Um, <laughs> I am reading Shadow State, Murder Mayhem, and Russia's. Uh, uh, I can't see it here now, but anyway, it's about um, Russia and ah. their crazy yeah. leader and so on. So that's, yeah. You know, one of the first steps is to get educated, right? So it sounds like that's part of your equation is how do I find out more? And so in order to kind of fuel how we move forward in a positive way. Awesome. So here's a question. If you could eat dinner and engage in dialogue with anyone past or present, who would it be? Oh gosh. Um, I um I wish I had something more profound to say, but I um actually I really miss my my grandmother, mm-hmm. and um she she passed uh, when I was really pretty young, and um I would love to have an opportunity to um have her wisdom in my life again and share what I've been able to achieve. Um, it's um Thank very you. important lady for me, yeah. I hit a tuning fork for me as well, as we just said goodbye to my grandmother of 97 years um, just a few weeks ago. And uh, I just think, you know, we come on the coattails of so many amazing, amazing women and the wisdom, like you mentioned, um, how lucky are we to come from some beautiful stock? Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And our older uh, wise women in our lives are so often overlooked, you know, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that's, I get very passionate about our wise women. Yes. World. Uh, I agree. So when you find um, yourself challenged by, you know, something in your life, world events or something small, like stubbing your toe, <laughs> how do you, what do you do to remind yourself how you choose to show up? Oh, this is such a great question. Um, hmm. um, yeah, I, 
It's a struggle, actually. It's mm-hmm. what's coming to me is still is still a struggle. You know, I definitely. Um, I mean, my values. Uh, my values have evolved as well, and I'm just doing some work, some Brené Brown work, actually. On mm-hmm. for me, one of them is um, is nature, and um, and how that lives out for me is um, the interconnectedness of of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's just not always about humans. It is about the whole. Mm, that's beautiful. And our closing question is simply, what are you most grateful for today? Oh, well, I'm so grateful to you. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. This has <laughs> been such a beautiful conversation and, um, uh, actually a real range of emotions for me as well on the call, everything from, uh, I feel like I've lived a, a whole season now, you know, with <laughs> being very excited and wildly passionate and angry and full yeah. of love and um, introspective and um, angry now mm. too. Mm. Well, thank you. I am so deeply grateful for this opportunity to get to know you more, to um, reveal more of how you look at the world and some opportunities for us. Um, and also to support you in, in all of this beautiful ripple effects that you are making. So thank you, Jane, for your time, for your energy, for your work, and uh, just for being who you are. And best of luck as you move off to, you're going on a business trip to Dubai, I know. So safe travels to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for tuning in to another impactful conversation here on Real Eyes, Real Lies podcast. We hope you take some time to let the wisdom and the stories that were shared here today sink in. And we welcome you to engage with us on our social channels at realize.love on Instagram, at realize.love on Facebook, and also our virtual voicemail on SpeakPipe. You can call us and let us know individuals you'd like to hear us interview or ideas for stories that you think would be impactful for others to hear. We also have links in the show notes and we invite you to go to our website, realeyes.love, where you will find an online resource hub. It is our gift to all of our listeners to provide you the resources and support in making your own ripple effects actualizing love in this world. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing all that you do. And remember, be true. Be real, be you, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.